Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's your boy Fatal from Fatal Affair. We are now on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and Apple. Get us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for supporting the show. Yes, it is your boy Fatal, and we are back, because something amazing happened this week. Something amazing has been happening for weeks. Welcome to Fatal Foils for the Disney Plus show, Loki. And it came out with a brand new episode this week, and I'm sure you know, because that's why we're here. And if you don't know, that's why we're here. We are about to spoil Loki so hard. So leave if you don't want us spoiled, because this is your spoiler siren warning. Or stay if you like spoilers. Stay because you like this show. Stay because I want you to. Stay nonetheless. So, without further ado, we're going to get into this. I'm not going to lie, though. This episode is probably going to be my least favorite in the season. Unless they decide to film Loki arguing with drying paint or Enchantress one-upping grass growing. I didn't really find a lot of the exposition interesting. And I know we're here to celebrate the show. So why am I bad-mouthing it? I'm not. I'm just saying it's kind of, this episode's a little boring. Uh, the best parts of this episode are spanned out, but still in plentiful doses for something we have to remember as, uh, for a television series. The whole of the project still costs millions of dollars, and I think this is our breather with three full episodes left, and I'm still all aboard for the hype train, so let's deep dive some mischievous exposition in the latest episode of Loki this week, right this second. Episode 3 is called Lamentis. Let's talk about what that could mean right now. Lamentis is a place on the edge of the galaxy amidst a Kree faction war. In Loki, it almost serves as the same color backdrop as Sakaar, the fighter planet in Ragnarok. Lamentis 1 may not exist, but the Lamentis outworld does, and its only appearance in the 2007 comic arc Annihilation Conquest Prologue Number 1. Annihilation Conquest features some of Marvel's cosmic cast, but this is important when talking about Loki, which is acting as an introduction with a mystery to unfold the multiverse with cosmic powers at play. So in Annihilation Conquest, we have Gamora, Ronan the Accuser, Mantis, Quasar, Star-Lord, Nova, Adam Warlock, the Super Scroll, and a few other cosmic characters. We know the Nova Corpse was destroyed for Thanos to get the Power Stone, which means at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, what if this was a way to introduce Quasar before using him as an usher, a starting superhero with Monica Rambeau into the cosmos beyond, especially with Adam Warlock's debut in Guardians Volume 3. Loki playing with the multiverse, we might get a slightly different cast of characters for this comic book adaptation. Alongside Secret Invasion and Secret Wars, which is playing a whole lot into this series, uh, we know Secret Invasion is coming to Disney+, Plus, which I'm sure we'll touch more on the MCU Cosmic Beyond. Amidst a warring planet caught between the Kree, what if the Kree was warring with some new cosmic faction we've already seen? Like the Skrull, or something else entirely, whoever Ronan the Accuser's race is. Loki, or, as we're gonna refer to her a lot during this podcast, Enchantress, Lady Loki, uh, she's, she could be in some sort of form or version of the Space Knights or Asgardians of the Galaxy. There's a lot to theorize here, but for now, we're gonna go into the episode. 
open up to the recap showing scenes of a thematic uncertainty. Is this the greatest power in the universe, Loki says from the previous episode? The TVA, the Asgardian gods, Mobius, and a choice made by the god of mischief. Transition of the Marvel Studios logo and demons by Haley Kiyoko playing in the foreground fade into Lady Loki and Hunter C-20 in a wonderful island paradise, escape to frozen mimosas and a lovely girl's vacation. Lady Loki mentioning if you get brain freeze, your memories freeze in place. I didn't know this if this was true. I actually had to Google it for a second, but if I just let the episode play out 25 seconds longer, you'll see that it is more than likely just a ruse. Because you can't just freeze your memories. Memories don't exist. They're not tangible. They're not physical. They don't exist in your brain. So memories freezing, I think that was just her way of coaxing the host, as we're going to talk about later Enchantress's powers being more on the side of convincing the host than it is full takeover, especially of the stronger minds, especially of people who can't gain clarity to their conscious a little easier. And the sinister change from cheeky Gilmore Girls outing to interrogative mindfuck was in full effect. The setting instantly changing to a mess uh, with Hunter C-20. She can't focus on the real world, constantly changing the maze in her brain to keep her hypnotized. Lady Loki learned where the timekeepers were when Hunter C-20 said she gave away their location. It wasn't her fault. She couldn't tell the difference between reality and fiction, which we learn everyone in the TVA is a variant of themselves. So are these types of illusions or ill ability to differentiate reality, much like how some people say the simulation theory operates, which is the belief that we're all in a simulation until we become woke or break out of the matrix, so to speak. We see the portal that Lady Loki opens up at the end of episode two leads into the TVA, where Loki acquires the daggers Hunter B-15 took from him at the start of that mission. A sweet Black Widow style magical dispatching from Lady Loki against the TVA. She makes quick work of them, using swift magical reflexes until going up against a curious and armed Loki who has a few questions. To which the variant Loki replies, you're in my way. Loki responds with, you are my way. We can take this a few different ways. What I think is his main goal, irregardless of what might unfold, is still his primary and personal interest. If he can capture the variant Loki, he might gain an audience with the Timekeepers, which now serves as how Loki viewed Thanos and the Asgardians, as someone to usurp power from, somebody above him. That's what I think Loki meant by you are in my you are my way. You are my way into the TVA. You are my way to meet the timekeepers or bring them down. Loki trying to sway Lady Loki by insulting her lack of vision, still instilling his dominance over everything, but matching toe for toe, they end in a draw, interrupted by Ravona. Uh, now on Lamentus, stumbling with Lady Loki, Loki loses his temp pad to Lady Loki, and it's low on battery? On time battery? How- what does that thing run on? If he was given that by the TVA, what does he use to charge it? Because their computers aren't exactly computers. Anyway, she says, don't call me a Loki. Lady Loki doesn't like identifying as just another carbon copy, which is understandable considering her motivations seem to transcend all other Lokis with what she knows. These actors really make the most of the green screen they are given, making each scene feel as intense as the stakes implied. Laser fire raining down on an unknown planet. It's not the last time we see these two get a workout via special effects by the end of this episode. There's definitely a lot of romantic tension between the tricksters. Lady Loki tries to enchant our Loki, 
being told the enchantment won't work. Lady Loki instantly becomes a brat, and Loki feeds into it as the same brat. Two sides of the same coin, both equally stubborn, uh, stating his mind is too strong, not due to the fact that he's a magician, which in a lot of ways is canonically true. Loki's hyper-intellect is truly known in the Marvel comic canon, and eventually gaining the technical savvy he boasts about a few scenes prior, not just stated in an attempt to belittle our newly befriended variant, if magic and tricks don't work, then steel is revisited. She grabs her weapon as both Lokis strike a Ginyu Force-worthy pose. It's so funny to watch Loki, Tom Hiddleston, playing a villain trying and convincing another Loki to act in better interest on their higher moral ground, which, with no ver visceral intent, he's forced to have a light-hearted banter that Lady Loki might rip out to get the tempad, because I guess he's hiding the tempad inside of his heart. Loki's getting the blunt force of how he normally acts to everybody else, and he's surprisingly patient. I'll kill you. And then Loki replies, or I'll kill you. <laughs> this line is one of many like this throughout the course of this episode, constantly the two almost repeating each other. Like the script took a backseat to this episode, and in place we get a lot of heart between our newfound lead and our Loki proper. Uh, they explore themes of themselves, themes of character interest, and a lot of it sure can be on script, but that kind of emotion derives from learning the script and believing it. And I think they do a really good job at enacting at themselves. I'm Sylvie now, a line we get whilst traveling with Tom and Loki, Loki number two, across a bombarded and still being bombarded desert landscape. Sylvie Lushton is her full name. Sylvie Lushton, the Enchantress. As Marvel.com states, Sylvie Lushton was just an average girl living in Broxton until the Asgardians moved their home of Asgard to Oklahoma. Not long after that, Sylvie woke up one day with magical powers. These powers were given to her by Loki, and at the same time, with no explanation, uh, Sylvie actually moved to New York to try out for the Avengers with her newfound powers given by the God of Mischief. After being recruited to the Young Avengers, which seems to be a reoccurring idea in the Disney Plus television content, continuity, she leaves to later join up with Norman Osborn and his version of the Avengers. A long way down the line after Multiverse of Madness and Spider-Man No Way Home, which will see the return of possibly all of Spider-Man's movie villains to date, including Willem Dafoe as Norman Osborn, upon learning of Tony Stark's death in the MCU with No Way Home, pun intended, Norman could assume his comic canon role as leader of S.H.I.E.L.D., and even further possibly becoming the Iron Patriot and forming the Thunderbolts with what property already at play, the Thunderbolts seem like a possibility alongside with Dark Avengers, and uh, Sylvie the Enchantress will definitely be around in the MCU titles to come. What makes a Loki a Loki? Stated independence, authority, and style, all of which seem to be insecurities of Loki, which he states he, he's overly insecure most all the time. In the first episode with Mobius, he's not very independent, always sticking to the stronger top dog like Thor or Odin or Thanos, Jeff Goldblum's the Grand Master and possibly soon the timekeepers, authority is what he wishes for, but all too often finds himself begging or screaming for it, in the form of villainy and villainous crimes and heinous acts. Style, he actually could believe this one. My man is always decked out in Asgardian gold, even when others aren't, and in his human forms to blend in on Earth, he's always sporting a suit. Uh, like he says in the previous episode of Loki, I would have worn a suit, when he's talking about the other variant. Calling out Sylvie's actions, saying she left a power 
power void and then just disappeared. Which Loki would have never have done. He can't even fathom this. He would have taken that power and literally lived with it as long as he could. Like in Ragnarok when he was portraying Anthony Hopkins portraying Odin. <laughs> he would have lived and died as Odin, the Allfather, if he could. If Thor never came and interrupted that, trying to put a hammer through his face, which is still one of the most metal things Thor has ever thought of. A Doctor Who Mandalorian-style evacuated scrap village. Very eerie atmosphere. I thought the score, the acting, Tom Hiddleston's hair was all on point during this scene. I could notice the green screen most of the time, and that made their performances feel more engaging and more genuine, because they're almost disguising the veil of belief, you know? They're not letting us see the puppet master's strings, even though they're right in our face, because they believe it, and they're kind of acting around all of it. They are just so engaging as both Lokis. Brute force is no substitute for diplomacy and guile. We get some banger lines out of Tommy Hiddles throughout this one. He attempts to demonstrate his style of approach, which just a heart-wrenching shenanigan. I wanted Loki to get smacked up at the end of this scene, which he does in the same fashion as Enchantress does. Uh, at first trying to convince an old lady as himself, he then uses what he sees within her home as leverage, a photo of her deceased husband, which he can mock up a similar voice on the spot without ever hearing, allowing me to think his magic is all embodying in terms of portrayal, anyone he turns into. It seems he gains the knowledge of who they are in some capacity. It was a brain-scratching moment when I began to think of Loki's magical capabilities. Uh, Loki's portrayal of the old woman's husband, however, also left me a little heartbroken. Like, could you imagine something like that? If if I saw somebody, I'd blast their zombie ass with a thunder gun too. That lady straight up used a mystery box weapon to clear her wave of gods. She cleared her porch of two gods. In light of one of, I mean, one of them tried to intrude on her home and the other one tried to play as her dead husband. This lady is something to be reckoned with. She should have her own Disney Plus show. And, you know, even one of the name drops we get from her husband, it seems that she is more than likely linked to a character. I love the use of green screen effects for Loki's magic. Uh, the green effects around him constantly giving him this feel for the level of power that he's on, actually in like a visual aspect now. A lot like the lightning for Thor. Uh, he's kind of engulfed in this green aura, these green streams that, that mean they symbolize his mischievous magic. A civil unrest is brewing as inhabitants of Lamentis feel oppressed by the stormtrooper-ass Cobra commanders that we see in this episode, and a few commoners in line aren't happy with how long he's been waiting in line. Like, there's an express line. One of the ladies says, like, this line is so long. It's a fascist government detaining them. Apparently, they're supposed to have better accommodations. Enchantress wanting to enchant a guard to incite revolution or rebellion amongst the common folk. Loki has a better plan. Or how Sylvie dropped the one sailor word per show order that we get. A shit plan. Loki takes the appearance of one of the guards to pose as somebody arresting Lady Loki to get the two of them access onto the premier locomotive for the wealthy and traveling. Enchantress pulling a Jedi mind trick on one of the guards. These are not the guards you're looking for. <laughs> she straight up pulled an Obi-Wan Kenobi and got them on the train. Now on the train, both Lokis enter a full-on exposition mode. With banter of an old married couple that sounds weird to say with these two anomalies, their dialogue rich with insults, condescensions, and dismissals of one another, constantly trying to be superior over one another, then stumbling onto the mother conversation. As we know, Loki was indirectly responsible for his mother's death in Thor The Dark World. Sylvie asking what was she like, both Lokis being curious in nature and uh, a little impartial to, to their families, to their multiversal versions of these families. Instantly striking that Bon Jovi style shot through the heart, grief envelops Hiddleston. 
Hiddleston's face before he states, she was a queen of Asgard. Loki saying that line alone about his mother, acknowledging another person's royal title, their ruling. Loki respected and loved his mother. He thinks of ruling as the ultimate validation. Lady Loki, like a rival, like a sibling, finds Loki's description too good to be true of their mother. But she's met them as they told Sylvie she was adopted in the time they were alive, uh, Loki's parents in Sylvie's universe. Something they failed to tell Loki for a while. The contrasts in both Loki's upbringing definitely shape the character in opposition to one another. Getting real and opening up instead of bickering, allowing for a real bond to form to abridge both the Lokis. Through discussion of the love they have for their mothers, both Lokis get to feel a part of them return via one another's experiences. Someone to relate to, which Loki has trouble with considering his complicated origins. This allows us a fleshed out and four-dimensional look at Loki, even showing Sylvie the magic their mother taught Loki. Bringing a sniffle to Sylvie and jubilation from Loki. It definitely brought up some emotions whether you related to that Loki or the other one or somewhere in between. Loki continues to show why it doesn't need multi-million dollar action scenes all the time. Marvel practiced multiple forms of writing, not all of it super interesting, but all of it meaningful in its own capacity. Even if this, this dialogue is irrelevant moving forward, it's something that, kind of like they're talking to the audience of the show, the viewers of Disney+, Plus, people with parents. Disney ha is famous for leaving out one parent when it comes to any story just to give people that all-inclusive uh, experience. Is people not all the time having that relative or losing that relative or just remembering that relative fondly? Experience is experience, and we get a great one coming out of Syl Sylvie and Loki here. Sylvie telling Loki she learned her enchantment magic all by herself. Begs a demonstration from Loki, only being told that doing is better than telling with a big N-O, considering neither Loki trusts each other. Cheers to the end of the world. A pity the old woman chose to die. She was in love. She hated him. Maybe love is hate. Disregarded by Tom Hiddleston's Loki, but I want to talk about this real quick. Maybe love is hate. To Loki, this is quite profound coming from Loki, because he constantly believes in malice towards ones he loves, such as Thor, Odin, and Frigga. When he projects an illusion of his mother to argue with his inner problems, his feelings, and Thor the Dark World, he states Thor's not his brother, Odin's not his father, and Frigga is not his mother, showing resentment which can also be twisted into the love he actually has for each one of these characters that is seen driving his moral intent since his exposure to the future in the time theater scene to a Loki love is hate. Loki proper's inability to take the sentiment seriously can also be seen as him getting Sylvie's goat. Loki asking Sylvie about her romantic ventures on the topic of love, she admits to having had relationships with a time-traveling postman, which leads to a confirmation, decades in anticipation, stating the relationship was the only thing that kept her going sometimes, which if any reflection of our Loki would prove true in his own romantic escapades. As we know, in the comics, Loki is gender fluid. Loki has slept with men, women, male superheroes, female superheroes, everybody in between. Even having an affair with, not an affair, a relationship with a S.H.I.E.L.D. employee on the helicarrier, a secret forbidden love. The confirmation is of Loki's bisexuality. 
reality. The comics having presented Loki as gender fluid, it seems that the Loki television series has canonized this for the multimedia public. In case there were any lingering debates in the air whether or not about his sexuality, now it's confirmed. Princesses, or perhaps another prince? A bit of both. I suspect the same of you. Because they are variants of one another, anything about one can possibly be true or opposite be applied to both Lokis. Loki denying love is mischief. Sylvie says love is mischief. Loki just can't accept that. He has to consider the true definition of love, something he doesn't feel comfortable lying to himself about. But they don't have time because a heist is afoot. He's got to get moving. Sylvie falls asleep, however, and Loki stays up drinking the night away. He is Asgardian after all. Sylvie waking up to a still awake and drunk Loki in a bit of panic as she tries to reform the illusion in perfect working order of uh, everybody on the train who sees them. She's trying to keep the illusion going. She looks panicked that anybody's going to find out. Something Loki doesn't seem concerned about. I thought that this was one of the most resonating scenes, something that can be looked at a few times just to see if it's real. Loki singing, when she sings, she sings, come home. When Sylvia awoke, she sang, in a metaphorical sense, coming back to the plan, is what I took from this. Or Loki could mean when the fat lady sings, which is a phrase meaning coming to a climax. Loki will eventually come home to the TVA alignment. It's in the air whether we want to treat Sylvie as an ally or a misunderstood villain similar to Loki's roots. Loki's in his full TVA attire. It's almost like he wasn't as drunk as he appeared, and possibly had orchestrated more than he let on. My theory is that he's playing a septuple checkmate by the end of this, even throwing a wool over Sylvie's eyes. After all, she is a variant he has been hunting for the TVA, but after their conversation, he could now have the same sympathy he has for her as he does for Mobius. Now with Mobius and Sylvie both confused by Loki's ever-changing actions and intent, this could leave Loki with the ultimate choice none of us see coming. He could be playing with time itself, having seen behind the veil, mysteriously singing to Sylvie in a bestilling tension in front of the entire bar, Sylvie looking more and more concerned. Cut to Loki smashing a glass on the ground like Thor from Thor 1, claiming he's not drunk, he's just full. As Guardians love drinking, we even see Valkyrie and Thor Ragnarok drinking consistently. It's like breakfast, lunch, and dinner for them. Drunk Loki states something he recently learned with his time at the TVA, nothing matters, because it's the end of the world, something he learned in order to catch Sylvie, and probably thinking she would share in the sentiment. Loki thinking it's all fun and games with his godly and magical friend, she sees him as fucking up everything she worked for up until now. Showing how careful she is in contrast to Loki, she's got a plan that can't be messed up, and Loki is drawing attention to himself by acting an ass. Love is a dagger. This is just something drunk people do. It's not even necessary. I saw this as sure Loki's about to maybe reveal something in a drunken truth, but this right here is just something drunk people do. If you've ever hung out with a drunk person who gets to the point where they're showing off their collectible samurai sword up close and unsheathed, or someone drunk who just wants to show off their firearm because they are past the threshold of rationality, you understand this scene all too well. I don't even think Loki thinks love is a dagger. He just wanted a reason to drunkenly hold a weapon. Edgelord Loki starts talking in dagger symbolism, saying he sees himself in a dagger that represents love that disappears when he reaches for it. That love disappears when he reaches for it, much like the dagger. Doesn't make sense, does it? Loki is uh, confronted again by the ticket checker, and this time with a little conflict. It doesn't last long, but what does happen is pretty intense. Starting with a distraction from the magical fireworks, then into a battle of dominant hand placements, Sylvie, meanwhile, looked really eager for a fight, for every chance not getting to rip apart Loki, for every little jab that he got on her. Sylvie joins in on the fight by punching some 
somebody with her Loki crown used as a brass knuckle. Loki straight up ermacks a dude in a small hand magical burst, with green energy sending the man propelling across the room. Each train guard getting dispatched pretty quickly by each Loki, Loki's fighting style feeling more misdirecting and of magical tenure, while Enchantress feels like a brawler using combat prowess and resorting to up-close melee battles. Loki attempts to throw a dagger at the guard's head, pretty brutal intent, but to his failings, moves on to another guard that he roundhouse kicks out of a moving train. Breaking that window, the window now is on everybody's mind. Impressed by himself, Loki gets caught off guard and gets thrown through the same window that we're all paying attention to now. Things like this shock me at first until I remember Loki dropping Thor out of the helicarrier in Avengers 1. Loki has since taken a lot of fails and defeats, so I knew he'd be just grand after this. He'd be fine. Lady Loki, remembering Loki has the temp pad she needs for her master plan, she follows Loki out of the window and onto a dusty railroad bank. Loki picks himself off the ground a lot like how he did in Thor Ragnarok after his perpetually infinite fall at the hands of Doctor Strange. I've been falling for 30 minutes. I love that scene. After being threatened for the temp pad, it seems obvious that Loki has been playing an illusion on Enchantress this whole time. With the out of battery at first and now with the destruction of it with a slight tint of green, which if mischief is his magic, allows us to believe that this can be a trick as well. Loki is always such an overacting and dramatic character, so it's hard to tell if his reaction was real. Still in competition to one another, trying to overstate their hedonistic ways, we see another rift showing all too well the difference between these two characters. One thinking he's good, uh, a god, but as we know now, he's an alien, and the other acknowledging her place and duty in the multiverse, her glorious purpose, as Loki puts it. We see a power demonstration from Enchantress that speaks volumes of what Loki does to people after too much interaction with the self-absorbed god. Loki feeling apologetic, though, as is his now hero nature, he relates to somebody for the first time, so he can understand the introversion Sylvie practices. He still doesn't let Sylvie be alone with her emotions. Acknowledging everyone will die, the Lokis come up with a new plan. A plan to use their technical prowess to hijack a ship called the Ark. Beautiful planetary landscapes, something I want an oil painting of, is the transition we get from them sitting down to now putting this plan in motion. Loki trying to weed out Sylvie's magical practice, maybe so he can steal one of her powers by the end of this show. You might see him do something the Enchantress does. And maybe in the same turn, that might allow us to open up the possibility of Enchantress learning from Loki, because that is how she gets her powers in the comic. Making physical contact and grabbing hold of someone's mind. Weak will allows easier control, but the stronger-willed ones must be tricked into the symbiotic relationship, allowing for both people to be in control, the magic user and the victim, using memories while enchanting the brain to sway the victim into performing actions in desire of the magic user. Sylvie claimings the memory, the memories she worked through of Soldier C-20 were clouded from hundreds of years of memories before joining the TVA. This is a major plot reveal because it allows us to think of each TVA agent as a variant that comes from a prime selection in the multiverse, the 616 canon universe, so to speak. This now can make us wonder how the timekeepers select each variant for duty of guarding the timelines. Who are they? Who do they come from? And each one of their numbers, their, what, B15, C20? What if the number is the universe and the letter could be their name or, or their alias? I don't know. There's just so much going on with now these agents. It was a major reveal, and now we got episodes 4, 5, and 6 to think about what is the TVA. Loki was told the timekeepers created the TVA agents from a TVA agent. Mobius told him that. The agents themselves don't even know that they're variants. They're hunting variants, though. A beautiful neo-future cityscape leading into my favorite scene of this episode. 
a one-shot of Sylvie and Loki running through a dying city meant for Apocalypse. If anybody remembers Charlie Cox in the Daredevil Netflix series, Charlie was incredible in shots with no cuts involved. Continuing the action and stunts with cowboy switches and a steady moving dolly shot uh, through dark hallways, this Loki one-shot is a lot like that, but spent avoiding conflict amongst mass hysteria. The colorful city splashed with fiery explosions, a beautiful cavalcade of blues and reds. The two actors definitely earned their paycheck here, running from one part of the set to another as a planet blows up in the background. The special effects and choreography give us the engagement of a one-shot while still keeping full energy. We can know that there's no need for a continuous shot involving the actors on screen at any time, especially when you have that smoky transition of Tommy Hiddles laying on the ground trying to recover from an explosion. It gives us the illusion of a one-shot while still keeping that budget and that quality at max capacity. Enchantress losing her cloak and Tommy Hiddles ditching the blazer in an action-packed and very hot sequence of scenes. Debris falling all around. There is a part I think that is worth noting before the destruction of what I presume to be the Ark. Loki and Sylvie almost get flattened by a falling spire. But Loki does this magical flourish that we've seen him do before to swiftly reverse time. This can't be some easy feat, unless his employment at the TVA allows him some immunity to these slated apocalyptic events. As we have seen, he is a very swift learner in The Magician's Secrets with Sylvie. Where did my man get time reversal? Doctor Strange? The Timekeepers? I wonder if this will all just get brushed off, but that blew my mind for a second. I rewound that a couple times. But finally seeing the Ark's destruction, it's like a tragic comedy. From once everyone running around and fighting and combating their way through not only each other, but Hellfire. Now everyone is somber and in disbelief and shock at all their wasted effort, their final ditch effort. Enchantress walks off in a disappointed defeat and Loki just absorbs the visual aftermath. Hard cuts to credits uh, via a folk song transition. And that's a wrap on Loki episode 3. This one wasn't action-packed, but it left us with a great impression, needing what comes next week. And you better believe we'll be back next week with Fatal Foil's Loki episode 4. We'll be back every week with some show and i thank you for tuning into this one stay with us on our journey through loki through more marvel titles to come we're gonna do a show on black widow where i'm going to spoil and deep dive a whole lot of things but for fatal foils episode three on loki we're done we're out if you don't know now you know you can catch me at twitch.tv slash fatal affair that's it that's a show Check us out, man. Support the show. We love you, and we love Loki. Thank you, Kevin Feige, for giving me something to talk about every single week, and we'll be back next week. Later, guys.